we're on the lesson that is titled Moses is Speechless. If you'll turn to Numbers chapter 20, Numbers chapter 20, I'm going to read the first six verses. But before I get started, if anybody on this lesson has any questions, if you'll hold them till Sunday night, Bruce will answer them because he's doing a lesson and he's volunteered for me. So um, if you have any of those questions, just go to him. Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Verse 4, Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. We have this reading that, um, that it's a little bit shocking that they're complaining again, aren't they? And... When you look at this complaining, the first thing that, that pops into their minds is there's no water. Now, water's important. Water's very important not only for the people, but for their animals. So maybe that's not such a bad thing because they don't have water. Now, the interesting thing is, and I don't think we put enough emphasis on this, is this wasn't one person. This wasn't like Korah or, or somebody just singly that's doing it. It says they gathered together, didn't they? So they were united in this uh, part of saying, we got problems. Then they went against this time Moses and Aaron, and they made another mistake. Who did they leave out of this equation? God. And when you leave God out of the equation, what's the issue? Maybe I didn't ask that right. What does it boil down to? That, that I know better, right? Or that they know better, the group. They put, if only we had died, why the wilderness? You know, you made us come out of Egypt. Um, it was an evil, you know, this is an evil place. Nothing to eat the grains and the figs and everything. So it starts with the water, but it, but it churns up, doesn't it? And the interesting thing is that Teddy Roosevelt had an interesting quote. He said, complaining about a problem without posing a solution is called what? They did a lot of whining, didn't they? And how would it have been better for them to handle this situation? I'm just talking about 
what do you think? Ask God. Do what? Ask God. Exactly. Why wouldn't you have said, Moses, you've led us through. You've brought, the, you know, we saw the plagues. We survived. We came through the Red Sea. We've, we've seen you do all these things. How about, how about praying on this to help us out? But what do they do? They shoot the messenger, don't they? I think a lot of times this grumbling when, when you think about it, they don't look at the end result. They don't look at how much these men were already doing. How many times did Moses save them? When God said, just back away, what am I going to do? I'll destroy them and start a new one. They didn't know that. We guess. We don't know. When you go to the next one in, in verse 8, it says, take the rod. Remember, we talked about the rods a couple of lessons ago. You and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, give drink to the congregation, and basically take care of the animals. So what did Moses and Aaron do when they were confronted? They went to God, didn't they? They went to the person that could take care of this, the power of it. And we know, we know that here it says to do what to the rock? Speak. Speak. So when you go back to Exodus 17, it was a situation that Moses did what to the rock? So this is a little different, isn't it? This isn't hitting the rock. This is speaking to the rock. Well, Moses, when you look at this, are these hard to understand instructions? Take your rod, speak to the rock, and what happens? Water. You don't have to worry about a purifier. You don't have to worry about a faucet. You don't have to have a temperature gauge. It's going to be water. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, were those instructions simple? Don't eat. One tree, right? Pretty simple instructions. When you look at that, though, here is Moses' reply. It, it's actually in Exodus 20, uh, 11 and 12. I mean, 10 and 11, I'm sorry. He is immediately saying and classifying them as what? Rebels. And we know that a rebel means that they, they're going against authority, aren't they? They're rebellious, let's put it that way. So then the second thing he says, he said, God's going to send this water. That's not what he said, did he? He said, must we. Now, who's the we? <laughs> Moses, Aaron, and God, maybe. And, you know, he says, for you. And 
out of this rock and he struck it two times. Simple instructions, understanding what needed to be done and what did he do. It's really kind of like the guy picking up sticks that we did the lesson. It's just hitting the rocks, isn't it? Not a big deal. Where does the big deal come in? Disobeying God. That's not what God said, is it? He said, speak to the rock, didn't he? If you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. We know that many times we go to 1 Corinthians 10, we go to verse 6, that these things happen, what? As an example for us. And it says in in very first verse, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, And then in verse 4, it all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So when we look at this and we understand the importance of God and what's going on here, Moses didn't do what he was supposed to do. So... In Numbers 20 and 12, the Lord speaks to Moses. And sometimes when you read this verse, you say to yourself, He had to put up with all these people griping and groaning all the time. And now what does the Lord say to him? He says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. Now, when you see the word hallow, it it means to sanctify or to set apart. You didn't set me apart as, as a as the supreme being. But what's that saying about Moses and Aaron? Neither one of them will go into the promised land. Is that the way you read it? Because Aaron will die, won't he? And when you think of that, I sometimes have read that and said, well, it's harsh. But The Lord has always, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, has always demanded obedience, hasn't He? And when you demand obedience, you expect it to be followed. And when you look at them, they didn't follow the orders that they were supposed to do. They did not sanctify God because they did must we. In other words, taking advantage of it and saying, 
you know, I'm going to do this for you. I'm, I'm the intermediary with God. I can do this. And a big part of it is unbelief. And I think sometimes we miss this point. This wasn't put over on the side, was it? This wasn't something that he went to the back room and said, let's, let's kind of get this stuff done. It was in the public, wasn't it? It was in front of the congregation. It was in front of the people. So the people knew exactly what was going on. But the Lord, being who He is, what did He do? He gave them water, didn't He? When you look at this, if you look at Leviticus 10 and verse 3, let's look at Leviticus 10 and verse 3. Most everybody knows this is the uh, chapter about Nadab and Abihu and uh, offering strange fire. But when you look at verse 3, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be what? Glorified. I must be set apart. I am the God. I am in charge. I'm the one who makes the decisions. And you didn't make me holy in front of the people, did you? When you think about the fact that the Lord says, you know, you didn't sanctify me, you didn't set me apart, you didn't look as if what I said was sacred, now you're guilty. When we think about Moses and what he went through, do you think Moses was a little bit angry? <laughs> because it's a quick, it's a quick passage from uh, what God told him to do and what he did. He was still smoldering over the fact that here they were again, rebelling. Rebels, you were rebelling. And, and as a leader, uh, that gets old. And he's human. And I, of course, we don't know Moses' heart, but it certainly shows the anger that he had to hit something. You know, it's, it's like, you know, maybe Miss Young get mad at me sometime and, and here comes a plate across the room. No, she doesn't. Frying do pan. She's not here, Never so I said that. Frying pan. But, you, you know, people people just have to either hit a wall or, or something, and I think his anger clouded uh, his mind and he uh, erased what God said. I think when you look at the chain of events, they listened to the people. They knew that he needed water not only for themselves and for their animals. They were upset about what was going on, even though Moses and Aaron had done a lot for them. You know, Moses, I mean, Aaron had just stopped the plague and stuff from happening. But here was an example of anger and reacting to something um, that says, you know, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, 
But you know what it's telling us, though? It's telling us even a better lesson, in my opinion. It says any one of us can make a mistake, can't we? Whether it's a leader or whether it's God's chosen people, this is the beauty of the idea that when we try to teach someone that we have our own thoughts, that God doesn't sit here and guide and, you know, inherited uh, every problem, we can make our own choices, can't we? And if we make the wrong choices, what happens? God knows it, doesn't He? And I think that's even a good example because Moses was a pretty good guy, but he had anger before. Go ahead. He's bringing you a mic. I, I think it's, uh, it also goes to show, I mean, Moses and Aaron, when you, when you look at this passage where the Lord is telling them their sin, it's unbelief and not uh, hallowing God in the eyes of the children of Israel. The punishment for it is exactly the same as the punishment for the children of Israel when they didn't hallow God and do what he said in going in and taking the land. So their accusations to Moses and Aaron of why'd you bring us in this wilderness to die? Yeah, they are in that wilderness to die. Um, and that, but that's a punishment that was brought upon them because of their own choices by the Lord. And, and regardless of the emotion that drives it, if you don't treat the Lord as holy and follow his orders, there will be punishment and consequences. That's a great point. I had never thought of that almost like them being turned away because they were right on the edge of the, of the promised land, weren't they? And they ended up wandering for 40 years. And now he's saying, you sinned, you're out too. Yes, sir. Well, I, I thought of Hebrews 3, verses 18 and 19, uh, talking about, and to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. And so we see that the, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. <clears throat> Bottom line, unbelief and Here's your leader. One thing that, that I've kind of put on here, and I put it in this lesson, is that anger needs to be controlled. And just like Bruce said, he, um, he had a lot of anger because he had to hit something. But go back and think about history with Moses. Here he is with the Egyptians. He's trained with a lot of things, and he sees a Hebrew, a person of his nation getting picked on, and what does he do? He kills this Egyptian, doesn't he, and buries him. There had to be some anger involved, didn't there? Well, you go a little farther, and when you read, I'm not going to read every one of these because of going through the slides, but in, in Exodus 11 and 8, when he comes to Pharaoh, now remember... God told him that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, didn't he? But when he came up and talked to him about the tenth plague, he, he was angry, very angry. Well, when you think about that and it says he was angry, God was in control. God was going to do what he needed to do, whether Moses was a winner or not. Wouldn't we agree? And he knows that the hardened of the heart. Then the, the last one was with the anger that saw the golden calf and the people dancing, and what did he do? He cast them down. And I would not 
differ with you if you said, well, a lot of this is righteous anger or righteous indignation. But Moses did some things that he would sometimes had a short fuse. Let's look at, a, at an example of anger in the Old Testament that maybe you hadn't thought about. And that's Jonah. When you look at Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. Thinking back in your childhood days, we all had stories of Jonah and the big fish, or as the kids say, the whale. What was he angry about? The Ninevites repenting. The Ninevites weren't being taken care of, were they? Well, the way he wanted it, is what I'm saying. Now, when you look at Nineveh, it's an Assyrian city, so it wasn't considered a tribe of, of the Hebrews, was it? It wasn't a people because there was wickedness and, and problems throughout. And God sent Noah to Nineveh, didn't he? Did he go? No, he played little games, didn't he? He went a different way, got on the ship. The, the water, or the wind was going, and, and um, um, he, didn't, he didn't get there. Because why? Threw him overboard, didn't they? Big fish ate him up and then spit him out. He was angry because the Lord didn't take care of the Ninevites the way he thought. Because what did they do to change the Lord's mind? Does anybody remember? They repented. They repented. So when they repented... Do we say, well, they're still an ugly people, they're still mean, treacherous. Is, is that our call? Real good example to say the Lord looks at everybody, doesn't He? <laughs> he takes care of everybody. When you see this and you know that He can take care of everybody, we know that with Jonah trying to do what he did, he tried at first to hide from God. Now, he didn't bring that up when he's upset, does he? You and I know, just like Adam and Eve, when God's walking through there, he says, where are you? Well, God knew that. And where were they doing? They were trying to hide from God, weren't they? Can't hide from God. I put up there the sovereignty of, of God what do I mean by sovereignty, or how would you define it? He's the king of all. Do what? He's the king of all. King of all, so he's in charge. A supreme ruler, authority. Sovereignty brings power, doesn't it? Well, in this particular example when you see the sovereignty of God, here is 
Jonah on this, and I'll say, ship. And what, what is happening around this ship? Storm, isn't it? The wind. Who's in charge of that wind? So he's a weather person too, isn't he? So when they throw Jonah overboard, what happens? Big fish does what? Who's in charge of the animals? <laughs> Sovereignty of God made that possible, didn't it? When you look at this and you see what God was involved in, you know as the story goes on that there was a plant, wasn't there? That's the sovereignty of God. And there's a worm that did what to the plant? Messed it over. Who's in charge of the worms? God is. The sovereignty of God said, Jonah, you're going to do this for a people that are not our people. And it tells you and I that we need to consider people that aren't, you know, they're not of the Jewish race or whatever as these people thought, but he was upset, wasn't he? And he didn't realize that these Ninevites, as wicked as they are, that they can change, can't they? And anyone can change, can't they? If they hear the right lesson, they, they listen to the Word, the Word does it, if the seed is sown. But the bottom line, who's in control? God. Well, if you look at Matthew 12 and 38, we're well aware of, of this. In Matthew 12 and verse 38, And I'm going to read 38 through 41. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, this is verse 38 of chapter 12 of Matthew, answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet who? Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 41. The men of Nineveh will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, greater than Jonah is here. If you go a little farther to Matthew 16 and verse 4. Matthew 16 and verse 4 of Matthew says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And you can go on. It's mentioned five times about Jonah in, in Matthew and four times in Luke. So Jonah's a little bit more important than we realize, isn't he? Or the, or the lessons we learn. Any comments about this so far? When you go a little bit farther, 
I put in there, I put in these other passages, but it's what Jesus said about taking care of, of issues. When you look at Jonah and anger, and David filled in for me when we did Proverbs and did anger, so we went through it, or he went through it and handled it, but you can see that prophets had anger, leaders had anger, and they were set straight, weren't they? I also put in here that obedience is non-negotiable with the issue with um, Moses. And if you look at Exodus 19 and verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And we even talked in the Proverbs class about listening, but here it is, if you will obey my voice. Obey in vine says to listen, to attend, to submit, to trust. And I thought it was interesting to obey one in authority, to understand that all of us are under authority, aren't we, of, of God. And we have to understand that what he wrote here is the authority with what we live with. Now, when you look at this, I wanted to give you another Old Testament example, and it's Abraham. Now, when you look at Abraham, particularly on this one, it says, and he said, take now your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the end to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you go back a little bit, you have Abraham and God tells him, and I'm paraphrasing, you've got to leave your home. That starts it, doesn't it? And when he says, you've got to leave your home, he also says, you're going to um, leave your father. Leaving your country, leave your father. And he ends up this, this speech to him that says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I was talking to Deborah about this yesterday, I think it was. And she says, you know, he didn't have anything written to say anything about God telling him to do something. He did it on faith, didn't he? He did it as a man of God, and that's why we call him Father Abraham, don't we? But here's a man, it's like you that have been born and raised here in Murfreesboro. Okay, every one of you leave, we're going to send you to Afghanistan. That's about what it is, isn't it? And he didn't waver. He didn't, you know, change his ways or anything. And then, having a hard time with this son, now God's going to test him and say, you're going to have to take care of that son. You're going to have to sacrifice him. I'm not so sure, unless it was Jason, 
that I would have said, can, can we put this off for a little while? Let's just think about this. Abraham didn't think about it, did he? When you go to uh, Genesis 22 and verse 3, and we won't read all of it, it tells you that he rose early. He made sure that the donkey was ready, was saddled, and he even split wood, the wood that he was going to use to sacrifice his son. How'd you like to do that, knowing that you're splitting wood? It's hard enough to split some of the wood, isn't it? And I call that preparation. He didn't even, he didn't hesitate. It says he rose early. I, I would have said, let me, let me just get going at noon. Let's have breakfast and think this over. Not Abraham. He was committed. Can you imagine carrying your son and you, you're in this commitment for three days before you reach that area? And you're sitting there doing what? Thinking every hour that when I put him on that altar, it's going to be gone. I got three days. I call that commitment. The question is, too, for you and I, do we prepare like Abraham does to, to be here for worship? Do we say we're committed to be part of the congregation, to be active, and you've heard me say it, not just a spectator, but a contributor. Because he was told to do it, and he didn't, didn't waver. And when you really think about it, when you go into Galatians, and it says, in the fullness of time, who came? Jesus, didn't he? It means that everything was set, everything was prepared for Jesus to come. And when Jesus came, he was committed to do what the Lord said, wasn't he? There wasn't a question about that. We read all through John about it. And when you look at Abraham, he gave his best, didn't he? His only son, whom you love, that's talking to Abraham, you're going to sacrifice him. When the Lord was sent to earth for a very short time, God gave His best, didn't He, for you and I. And it's something to think about with this obedience of Abraham. Any comments? John? Just thinking about the anger you were talking about and how it relates to the disobedience in, in this case. And uh, we think about Moses and how he put up with those complaining people for so many years and been patient. And it, we say it sure would be nice if God had just cut him a little slack this one time. You know, wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been good? So why didn't he? Why didn't he cut him some slack? And there could be a number of answers to that question, but I was thinking about that. Um, God loved those people, and he wanted to get them to the promised land, but it was clear that they needed to learn 
to treat God as holy. They had not learned that yet like they should. So if God's own chosen leader and the high priest didn't treat God as holy, how would they ever learn? To Why treat would God? they have any respect of holiness? Right. And so how does that apply to us then? Okay, as Christians, we, we say we're Christians and we worship the God of heaven. Well, if the outside world doesn't see us treat him as holy, then how can we ever expect them to? Good point. You know, going to where Kerry was before with Hebrews, it says, Hebrews 5, 8, 9, though he was a son, yet he learned what? Obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who what? So you have obedience and obey him. So we have another example, don't we, of obedience. That when we name ourselves and we, we say we're Christians, we need to be Christ-like. He was even obedient, wasn't he? Obedient to what? To death. Well, when you think about Moses, what kind of example was he? Well, he was chosen by God. He was a go-between for the people. We saw an example that when they came to him and they're upset with water, they prayed. He and Aaron, he was a problem solver. He saved the people several times. This is, this is pretty easy and given, but he disobeyed God. Well, we're going to see leaders make mistakes, aren't we? Because biblically it says, how many people have sinned? All, haven't they? We all fall short. Well, when you talk about the leaders, you look at Noah. Noah was by himself. It says in Peter that he preached righteousness. He built the ark and surely there was some help there. But when we look at Moses and we think, I mean, of Noah, and we think about the situation um, in Genesis chapter 6, it said that every intent of those people, what was their intent? Evil. So he was by himself, wasn't he? Except for his family. The leaders do the right things even though they're alone. We talked about Abraham was called out from his home, called away from his father, his other family, his other relatives, told to go where God told him, told to, to take care of his son. And it was the unknown. And as a leader, that didn't bother him, did it? Because what did he have? He had faith, didn't he? And he was obedient. You know, Joseph, when, when you look at Joseph, I, I think it starts at Genesis 37 and goes through chapter 50. He gets, more, he gets more paper than creation, doesn't he? And he went through a lot of problems. Jail, sold by your own brothers. 
lied about, and on and on and on. They endure under, in spite of circumstances. And, you know, when you look at Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, we've already talked about the ten spies, twelve spies. I almost got the math wrong again, didn't I, Misty? Twelve spies, two of them, Caleb and Joshua. And we know that when we turn to the 24th chapter in verse 15, it says, Joshua tells the people, choose. You choose who you're going to serve. And then he makes it a point to say, for me and my house, what am I going to do? I'll serve the Lord. That's an example that says, you can choose. We all have the ability to choose, but I'm choosing the Lord. And I'm the leader right now, so you, I'm trying to be the right example, as Joshua was. You know, we, we talked a little bit in one of the lessons, and this doesn't mean that we're all going against Goliath, but each of us have giants in our lifetime that we have to deal with. And we know that when we have a problem, it's the biggest problem, isn't it? Because it's me, right? It's my problem. David didn't even let that bother him. And here he was, a shepherd, and he picked up stones that anybody could have picked up. And he wasn't afraid of giants. And last, leaders rise to the occasion when you... Look at Isaiah, and we studied that, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. In Isaiah 6, basically, the Lord says, who am I going to send? And what does Isaiah say? Lord, send me. That those leaders rise to a, to a level. David uh, Creech did a real good lesson last night on leadership using Eli. And he talked about there's leadership at home and there's le leadership spiritually. If there's not leadership in both of those, there's going to be problems, aren't there? And all of us in here are leaders in our own way, aren't we? There's biblical passages that say to ladies to, to study and tell us to study and to be leaders with the ladies. There's biblical passages that say that, that the husbands are the head of the family. So that's a leadership issue, isn't it? For us to understand. And for us to rise to the occasion. And one last one on here. We look at Jesus as a servant leader or servant leadership from the fact of John chapter 13 is probably the biggest chapter on humility for God washing somebody's feet. Well, even though we're leaders, all of us, we can have problems. And the way the devil interferes, just like with Adam and Eve, he creates doubt. He'll lie. He'll deceive you. In Genesis, the same way. It leads to denial. And what else? It leads to death, doesn't it? Spiritual death. And we don't, we don't need to be in that. Any questions? Because I think the doors are opening.
to add to this list, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Moses. You know, he led those complaining people for 40 years, <laughs> drug them through the wilderness. And so how does Satan also affect us? Is by grinding on us, by having those. It's not a one-year thing or a two-year thing. 40 years. And, and even a great man like Moses was is going to reach breaking points. And so I think it's just we need to realize as these trials, these difficulties in this life come on us, you think about Moses and think about what he endured and think about what God has told us that we're able to endure through him. Um, but you just think about, it just blows my mind, 40 years of that complaining and murmuring. And that's not including coming out of Egypt, is it, with the ten plagues? Good point. I'm not sure I'd have had the patience he had or the perseverance. Thank you so much for comments.